My name's William Marler. I'm 24 years old, I'm an animator, I do stand-up comedy, and I have cystic fibrosis. In this podcast, I'll be helping to share real stories from real people affected by CF. Hi, I'm Rue. Hi, my name is Pearl. Hi, my name is Charles Michael Duke. I have cystic fibrosis. And I'm coming to you straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. Hospital can feel like a second home for some people with cystic fibrosis. We have regular checkups that last a couple of hours, and if we're ill, it can mean staying in hospital for a couple of weeks. We have many CF teams here in the UK, each with their own specialist staff. I'm Fran, I'm one of the CF nurses. I'm Darren, I'm the dietitian. Hi, I'm Fiona, I'm one of the physios here. My name's Dr Barr, I'm a consultant respiratory doctor. Hi, I'm Ange, I'm a social worker. Hi, I'm Safina, I'm the psychologist. Hello, I'm Jess and I'm a CF clinical trial coordinator. Regular checkups are a cornerstone of a cystic fibrosis lifestyle. My team can make sure I'm doing okay and I can voice any concerns I have about my health or the treatments I'm doing. Checkups usually start with some basic observations, various body measurements like height, weight and blood saturation levels. All of these are done by one of the CF nurses who are usually also the first port of call if there are any problems at home. The next measurement is called lung function. So what I need you to do is breathe normal on the mouthpiece first. When you take a deep breath in, take it from the mouthpiece like you're sucking into a straw. And then blast out. Okay, so okay. breathe normal first. Deep breath in. Fast blood. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't tense your body, just relax. That's it, let it flow out. Keep going. Good, well done. The lung function is probably the most common way to tell how someone with CF is doing. It produces two figures, FEV1 and FEC. Here's Fiona, my physiotherapist. So FEV1 is forced expiratory volume in the first second. So it's how much volume of air you can blow out in the first second of your breath out after taking a full breath in. And FVC is full vital capacity. So that's the total volume of air that you blow out from a full breath in, breathing right the way out. That one is the time it takes you to breathe out. It's not a set time. When you do a lung function, you get it that it's measured in litres, so in 2.35 litres. You key in somebody's age, their height, whether they're male or female, what race they are, because all those things have an impact on, on your lung function. You'll have a reference value that's within the machine. It will measure compared to an average person who is your height, age, sex, race, 
what their lung function would be expected to be and then your reading will be linked to that as a percentage so that's where you might get you know your FEV1 is 75% that means 75% of what you would be expected to get if you didn't have CF. The lung function can also make us cough up some mucus. This sputum sample is then taken away and tested to see if we carry any bugs. The rest of the checkup is just a case of seeing each of the team individually and having a chat about how things are going. I don't always see the whole team unless there's any individual concerns because they're very busy and to be honest, I don't exactly want to be there any longer than I need to. After you leave, you do it all over again in a couple of months where I'm sure there'll be another clock to fix. So far, you've heard from my adult CF team. I saw a completely different set of people when I was a child and transitioned to the new team when I was around 16 years old. And that makes sense, right? Dealing with a 5-year-old with CF will be totally different to dealing with a 25-year-old. However, this wasn't always the way, as Marlene remembers. Between 1983 and 1992, I was based at City Hospital in Aberdeen as a hospital social worker, working mainly with acute medical and chest patients. My involvement with the cystic fibrosis patients started around, I suppose, 84, 85, when the cystic fibrosis children were surviving into adulthood and suddenly it was no longer appropriate for them to be kept on the children's wards. And at first they were just coming in as patients along with everybody else and there was no specialist provision for them, which seemed very hard for these young people who were coming in and sitting sometimes with a lot of quite elderly people in the waiting room at the clinic. Outside of her clinic, Marlene was motivated to do something about this. I had been to a conference where there were other hospital social workers there, and it was quite obvious that they had a more specialised approach to the outpatient treatment. And I asked if I could go and visit Freeman's Hospital and meet social workers there. And that, I found, was really interesting, very informative. Met people from the team and met people on the ward. So I didn't meet any cystic fibrosis patients, but I did meet transplant patients, a six-year-old girl who'd had a heart transplant and was already doing her own physiotherapy with physiotherapists. And and just the whole thing was really quite inspiring. We put together a team where we had a doctor, a physiotherapist, a nurse, um, a dietitian, and myself all in the same clinic at the same time. And when the cystic fibrosis patients came into the clinic, they saw each person in turn. I didn't always see them. There wasn't always a need for social work. But if there was a need for social work, then I used to take work down with me, sit in a room there and be available. Um, It's also that I met parents. And that became very important where a young person's health deteriorated and the parents needed support as well. And I felt that if I didn't know those parents before that point, I couldn't be the person that offered support because I was a stranger going in at a very difficult time. The clinic had five CF patients, 
four male and one female, and I found when speaking to Marlene that they clearly left a big impression on her. I found them a very feisty group. They all in their own way had developed their own interests and their own skills within their own level of ability. And they were also quite good at, at using opportunities. And I suppose the time that stands out for me is the time when we had a grand reception with the Duchess of Kent there in Stirling Castle. And while that was happening, some of the young people approached the Duchess of Kent to explain to her that they had to pay for all their prescriptions and was there any way she could use her influence to help them to change that system, being aware that there were other conditions where you didn't pay for your prescriptions. It's not a problem anymore in Scotland because we don't pay for prescriptions, but I'm assuming it's still a problem in England. Those young people and their journeys just stayed with me for a long time because they were so determined and so um, accepting of what was a condition that at that time didn't seem to have a lot of possibilities in terms of how fast research could move forward. And I find it very encouraging that there seems to be so much more movement now As I said earlier, a sputum sample can help detect any bugs growing in the lungs. Sometimes they're treated by just using tablets, but a persistent infection or a significant drop in lung function usually means a two-week stay to have IV antibiotics. Dr J. Ashbat is a respiratory consultant at Nottingham Children's Hospital. There are some antibiotics against certain types of infections which are only available in the intravenous forms. If you have some types of infection, then you will need those antibiotics, for example, against pseudomonas. Also, with oral antibiotics, you know, most of them are really absorbed well when you take them orally, but sometimes they are not. And if you have had oral antibiotics for a while and if your chest infection has not got better, then it's better to come in and have different antibiotics, maybe more than one antibiotic, to treat the infection better. But being in the hospital for IV antibiotics is not just about antibiotics and it is also the whole package of care that one might get uh, with the physiotherapy so that's important because at home when you you know we all have busy lives and then I think if you're well on a day-to-day basis you, you might uh, you know occasionally miss a session of physio not that we would encourage that but that's real life that happens while if you're in the hospital then you know there is a, a routine to all your treatments and the physios might come and see you more than once while you're admitted they might try different devices different ways of doing physiotherapy so all those additional benefits the review by the whole team including the dietitian but also I think the extended members of the team including a psychologist the social worker the pharmacist they can provide appropriate support during the stay in the clinic when we see you we might see you for 30 minutes half an hour the whole team and then you go away when you're admitted to the hospital there would be regular reviews by the clinical team more than once and that then helps one assess how well you're responding to treatment or otherwise hospital stays are my least favorite part of cf although it's an opportunity to get better it's also a constant reminder that you're currently ill it's extremely boring too here's charles 
When I'm in hospital, it's very much wake up, be seen by the doctors on ward round, then you've got morning physio, then lunch, then afternoon physio, then if anybody else wants to see you, then you've got your drugs at your drugs times, and then the evening comes and mum comes and we watch TV or a film or whatever, and then she'll go and then I'll go to bed and then it will just it's the same thing every day. Even though there's a lot of people to see and a lot of things to do when in hospital, I've always been able to go to gigs I've had planned or pop out to the cinema for a break from it all because the team have been very flexible with everything. It's more of a schedule, more of repetition, but my team are so great at sort of accommodating if I've got something I need to be out for. So I had a, an interview with BBC Radio Solent during one of my admissions, and so they sort of moved things around so that I could go to that, which was in the morning. And so, you know, if I do need to be out for something for a few hours, then they're great at moving things around to accommodate for that. But in my eyes, I'm, at, I'm in hospital to get better, do you know what I mean? I'm not there to have a social or a jolly or whatever. So I go in and, and I sort of just, repair and work on, on the health for, for two weeks. Day one. My room is a lot nicer, so I feel more like a writer right now than a patient. This is quite therapeutic. The noise of the nib scratching the paper alongside the constant ticking of the clock is nice and relaxing. The traffic is steady outside. The ink that flows onto the page doesn't fly me away to new worlds or whisk me off my feet. It brings me back home and puts me to sleep. One of the worst parts about having to stay in hospital, even for people without cystic fibrosis, is the food. It's usually horrible, often with very little choice. Certainly not what you need when you're trying to get better. However, at the Wolfson Centre, chefs like Andy are trying to change that. Today on the menu, there is braised steak, minced beef and onion pie, pasta provencale, and there's usually a fish option. Today's dessert is a apple and blackberry pie with custard. That's for lunch. And then for dinner tonight, it is lemon meringue pie. But obviously, if those options, if something that people don't really appreciate or don't like, there's always the other bits and bobs available. Yogurts, fruit, ice cream, jelly, biscuits. Got a whole new range of snacks now as well, like cake bars and things like that as well. The menu is usually devised the day before by the chefs who are going to be cooking the food. They have a, like a stack of recipes that they follow. And we try to make it as like home-cooked food as possible. Because obviously being in hospital is not brilliant at the best of times. And when you're being pumped full of antibiotics, it tends to knock your digestive system out. So we just try to make things with big, bold flavours so you can really taste them as well, trying to make it just as tasty as possible. The food really does help people in the way it gives them almost something to look forward to. If you know you've got a nice meal coming, maybe 30 minutes after you finish your physiotherapy, you think, oh, you know, if I get through this physiotherapy, I'll get through this walk, get through this run. And you've got a nice, like, for example, today, braised steak, mashed potatoes and veg with a nice hot pudding as well waiting for you. It might give you that little bit of a boost. But also, you know, the calories as well are a massive, massive part of the food that's up on the uh, CF unit. Cystic Fibrosis Care is a charity who are also helping to make hospital stays a bit more bearable. Martine showed me the sort of things they're giving out to patients. 
little uh, activity sets for, for children just to occupy a bit of their time whilst they do spend a lot of time in hospital. For the adults, we're giving them the mindfulness colouring books. So it's uh, intricate colouring, which uh, apparently helps to soothe anxiety and stress. And we give them either pencils or felt tips as well. Again, it just fills a bit of the time that the CF patient is in hospital. And it's a way of introducing myself, Pat and Carolyn to the, the CF community. Day six. It's a very weird feeling when at night the fan is turned off and the room is suddenly bathed in quiet, making me feel at one with myself. The noise blurs everything together, but it's in the silence that a pin drop sounds like a gunshot. Watching a nature documentary, seeing an impala running for its life, made me realise that the struggle for survival is all around, but my struggles pale in comparison to that of many others, and that's a gift. This silence right now is also my gift. When someone with CF needs IV antibiotics, they don't always have to be done in the hospital, as Siobhan explained. My mum and my dad, they have actually been trained to do it themselves, so we can do it from home. Being at home, being with your family and, you know, having your own space, it was so much better and it was so much easier. Obviously, it does still get a bit tiring. Just being at home makes it a lot more pleasurable and just a bit more bearable. Unless there's any serious problems, the choice to do home IVs is always there. I personally like staying in the hospital during that time as it helps to separate home and hospital life. Plus, I feel much more comfortable knowing that if anything does go wrong, I'm in the right place. It's not always easy though. Day nine, I'm scared. Vicky's leaving tomorrow and I don't know how I will take it. This week has been utterly wonderful and now she'll be gone for another month. When I'm with her, things I do wrong seem like silly errors. When I'm alone, they become reasons to hate myself. That was the last diary entry I made. Fortunately though, we got through that month in the end, and it's still together four years later. <laughs> I like to research about my condition, and I know quite a bit now about Pseudomonas. I learned about the different types of Pseudomonas you can get. So, for example, there's the Manchester strain, and the Liverpool strain, and the Midlands strain, you'll notice there's no London strain or Devon strain. You know the north-south divide has gotten bad when it's now affecting bacteria. <laughs> a key part of the modern cystic fibrosis hospital visit, whether as an outpatient for a couple of hours or as an inpatient for a couple of weeks, is having a separate room with strict cleaning policies. This is due to the risk of cross-infection that CF presents. Every CF patient will have different infections at any one time, with some people having none at all. While the general public can't catch these, fellow CF patients can pass them on to each other very easily. Here's Dr. Helen Barr from the Wolfson Centre. 
Cross-infection means when you get infected with the bugs from somebody else's respiratory system and this can come across by close physical contact with people with cystic fibrosis. So for instance, touching hands, kissing, but it can also be because of indirect contact and that can be sharing kitchen utensils or sharing equipment in hospital setting. So strict infection control policy is at our CF units to ensure that there's a minimal chance of cross-infection, which is why everyone with cystic fibrosis is treated in an individual setting and an individual place. Bugs like Pseudomonas can only bind and cause problems in people who've got damage to the lungs already, such as people with cystic fibrosis. So if you don't have an underlying lung problem, you're very unlikely to be able to pick up this. So it's not infectious for people without CF. So it's absolutely imperative within your CF centre that you follow a strict infection control policy, whether that means coming in through a certain door or certain clinics are set up for people who've got pseudomonas, including an epidemic strain, which is more infectious compared to non-epidemic strain. And people with other conditions, such as staph aureus, will be in a separate clinic. We do really strict infection control policies in cleaning everything to make sure that the likelihood of cross-infection is minimal. It's internationally recognised that people with cystic fibrosis should not mate together and that all contact should be either through social media or through an indirect mechanism. This can present quite a few difficulties. Through my own choice, I will never meet up with another person with CF, which is a shame because I have many friends I'd love to meet in person. All of my interviews with fellow CF patients are done online or over the phone. I could, of course, just end up bumping into them there's one that I talked to and uh, she actually goes to my unit and I bumped into her in, in Southampton and um, we were sort of walking towards each other and we were looking at each other but because we've only seen each other through a screen we were like is that and then I just went it is isn't it and she went yeah and I went all right and then we sort of started walking away from each other and then we had this conversation with each other like 10 foot apart and Anybody that was in that shop must have literally thought, what is going on? At the time, this is the other funny thing, was I was carrying loads of stuff and I was clearly really struggling. And people watching must have been like, why isn't she helping him? They're clearly friends. <laughs> As we were sort of walking away, I was like, she's a lot shorter than I thought she'd be. So if you're not meant to meet up with another person with CF, what happens when you work with them? Ollie has cystic fibrosis and is also Director of Engagement at the Cystic Fibrosis Trust. We employ 10 people with cystic fibrosis, I think, at the Cystic Fibrosis Trust, and that presents a number of different challenges. The most obvious one being that we can't have more than one of us in the office at any one time. So our offices in central London are one floor open plan, and it's clearly dangerous to have more than one person with CF in the office. At the end of every day, every single member of staff has to completely clear their desk and wipe down with alcohol or antiseptic wipes so that there's no kind of bugs left lying around. And we all do the same in meeting rooms as well. So it's not just people with CF that are sort of singled out as having to wipe our own germs off everything when we leave a room, but everybody has to do it at the end of every day. So we can be confident that between six o'clock in the evening when I leave at night and nine o'clock the following morning when another person with CF may come into the office, it will be as clean and as bug-free as it possibly can be. 
we also then have a cystic fibrosis calendar. So every member of staff at the trust has access to this calendar in their outlook. And it shows when people with CF are coming into the office. So if it's a member of staff, we will just mark a day as being a day that we're in the office. Or if you're expecting a visitor with CF, then you put that in as well and it means at a glance it's really really easy for us all to see who is coming into the office and when they're coming into the office so we don't end up with two people randomly arriving at the welcome desk at the same time because they didn't know or the people internally didn't know that they were expecting someone with CF. Cross-infection can also be problematic when charities like the Cystic Fibrosis Trust hold events. Martine told me about the precaution Cystic Fibrosis Care took on one of their events. For the cross-infection, we give them a free cup of tea, but we ask for the CF patient not to go in the tea room because we don't know if there's another CF patient in there at any, any one time. So we say get one of your family members without CF to, to fetch your free cup of tea. The walk itself, the registration and everything is outside. So obviously you have got to consider any risk of cross-infection, but we did only have one CF patient there. Uh, In other events, if we know that two CF patients uh, are coming, obviously if it's outdoors, we keep them apart. If the the event is indoors, the first person with CF that applies to attend and they're accepted, then we say no to other patients. We say first come, first served. I and most of the people I know with CF are very strict about not interacting with other patients. But not everyone feels the same. You can advise them, but some CF patients choose not to listen. So we say, well, we give you that advice. It's, it's now down to you. But one, one person I spoke to a good couple of years ago, and he said, well, I could get on a flight with another CF patient. I wouldn't know because they haven't got like, tattoos on the head. I have CF. And I said, yes, but if we know there's two, two CF patients attending, then it's our responsibility to say no to one. And it is a first-come, first-served basis. I think it's the only way, to be honest, if an event is indoors, it covers us. And obviously then nobody can look at us and think, well, they wasn't thinking of the CF patients. They've got two patients together. So, But yeah, it is difficult. But some patients don't want to hear the rules and regulations where other patients abide by them strictly. As Martine says, cross-infection is always a thorny issue and there's no perfect solution. However... Ollie did mention quite a useful method for controlling cross-infection at outdoor events. Any kind of outdoor event where there's going to be a large gathering of people, it becomes a lot harder to restrict access, as it were. And so what we do is to ask everybody who's attending who has cystic fibrosis to wear a fluorescent yellow armband And that just lets us all know who has CF and who doesn't. And it means, again, it's about making informed choices. We can't go and rugby tackle someone with CF as if they get too close to someone else who has CF. But we can enable them to see other people with CF and recognize that getting too close is potentially dangerous. If they choose to go up and hug that person anyway, there's nothing we can do about it. We just try to create the environment whereby people are able to make informed choices and informed decisions about how they're treating cross-infection. 
Another charity that holds events like these is the More Than Just Me Foundation based in America. Their annual 5k race is well known in the CF community, specifically because of its unorthodox approach to infection control, as Morgan explains. The first year, like seven people with CF showed up. And then the next year, more people showed up, like 40 CFers showed up. So we use the 5K as a way for people to be able to kind of meet and share their stories and interact. But it's on an open beach, you know, environment. We are all about the six foot rule. Here in the, in the U.S. at any like CF foundation held event, all CFers have to stay six foot apart. And, you know, we give everyone masks, there's hand sanitizer, all that kind of stuff. But we don't tell people, like, hey, only this many CFers can come. At the event, like, we enforce things. But what people do after the event, that's, that we can't control that. You know, what people do in their personal lives. But we're about people making educated adult decisions. We are not going to tell someone, you cannot do this. Because the minute you tell someone that, like, that just makes people want to do it more. And it's really crappy to, you know, just be like, oh, you can't do this. We have the event, and, you know, it's on the beach and everything. But then, you know, people hang out afterwards. They usually make like a week vacation out of it. And it ends up a lot of, you know, CFers stay in the same house and all that. If they choose, like, we've kind of got a lot of slack from that. The internet, you have two sides of the spectrum. You have the side that they're just like, we totally agree with you. We love this event. Then you have the side of the internet that's like, you're going to kill people. You're terrible people. We hate you. You just kind of got to deal with it. As Ollie and Martine said, There's only so much that charities and medical teams can do to stop people with CF mixing. Ultimately, it's their decision. Just like for me personally or whatever, like I feel like what I have done has made some blowback on the foundation because I have like a group of friends with CF that we do. Like we are very close and we don't care about getting close, being near each other, you know, shoot, like sleep in in the same bed, like whatever. Like it's just whatever because for me, I'm just kind of like, I don't know how much time I have, you know, but I've met like these really amazing people. So I'm more about the life in your years than the years in your life. Like I have said it a bunch of times and I'll say it again. Like I don't care about being the oldest living CFer. I don't care about hitting an age milestone. Like I care about what I do while I'm here, you know. If I want to climb a mountain, I'm going to do it. If I want to hang out with these people, you know, I'm going to do it. That's just kind of my mentality since I was, you know, a kid. Like, I'm never going to have someone tell me that I can't do something. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. If I know someone has CF, I'm not just like, hey, friend, let me lick your face. Obviously, you just do what other people are comfortable with. Like, if I meet another person with CF, most of the time I have a mask on and, you know, I stay six foot away and that's how it is. But... I have my group of friends who we're just super comfortable around each other and we just kind of all have the same mentality. So we know the risks and we know about all that stuff, but we still hang out anyways. So I'm like, just don't, don't pay attention to what I do. So not everyone has the same personal opinion on infection control, but whatever your opinion, the overwhelming consensus from medical teams and charities is Bugs from people with cystic fibrosis can spread and that people with cystic fibrosis should not meet in person to prevent cross-infection. For most people, hospital stays aren't usually too serious, even if they come out of the blue. For George, though, things are a bit different. 
I actually had a really unusual and rare hernia. I had a hole in my bowel system, which my lower intestine then fell through, twisted up and died. So I went from being completely fine, chilling on a nice Sunday evening, to rolling on the floor in absolute agony with an ambulance on the way. Took me to hospital. By this point, I was up to my eyeballs on morphine, just in excruciating amounts of pain. So Tuesday morning, I woke up and they were like, uh, are you ready for surgery? And I didn't have a clue what was going on. So I ended up going having surgery. They were told a couple of hours max, should be job done. Seven hours later, it was not all as it appeared. I've now got four metres of lower intestine been removed, which has been a bit of a nightmare for my digestive system, as you can imagine. But I ended up spending 10 days in intensive care, where at some point along the road, my blood oxygen levels dropped phenomenally low. Full-blown emergency and all that fun jazz whilst in intensive care. But 10 days later, I got taken down to my usual ward for another, I think it was 18 days, I think it was in there. Spent my delightful birthday in hospital, treated myself to a Burger King. Yeah, so low intestines removed, core strength absolutely torn apart. So my lungs went from about 95% before the procedure as such to about 30% while it was all going on just because I couldn't really function. Spent a couple of years building my life up from that. Walking stick, wheelchairs, all that sort of jazz just because I had no core strength, no coordination. I was basically Bambi on ice for, for months afterwards. But that's what kick-started everything. George became very passionate about the idea of improving his life by 1% every day and those changes accumulating over time. It's an idea that he believes can turn people's lives around. Start really small. You don't have to go into the gym and bench press 100 kilograms. That achieves nothing. It really doesn't. Go into the gym, find some equipment that you like, find a bike, set yourself a little goal and achieve it. Make it happen. Goals mean everything in this instance. With people with CF, it is so hard because we do have up and down days. But if you've got a goal, you're mentally going to push yourself through it. And I'm a big believer in you've got to celebrate every little win. Really celebrate it. Patting yourself on the back, it just gives you the emphasis to keep going. No matter how motivated you are generally, being in hospital can really bring you down, making it much more difficult to get back up again. Having the right mindset, though, can make it much easier to get started. Stop thinking, why me, why me? That's the bit we've got to change. Change the mindset, change it to a go-getter mentality. Get up in the morning, make something happen. Don't sit there 24-7 thinking this is horrible, this is horrible. Yes, it sucks. There's no way of sugarcoating it. It sucks, but you've got two choices. You can sit in your bed, do nothing, or you can make something of yourself. As soon as you start trying to help yourself, you'll be creating so much good energy, and good energy only attracts better energy. So the more you're doing good things, better things are going to come and find you. I'm a strong believer in that. In 12 days, I'll have been out of hospital for a year. By exercising differently and eating better, I've completely managed to prolong the quality of my life. If that's not worth doing, then I don't know what is. That surgery put me on a pretty crap path to a really unhealthy life you get to that point where you think something's got to change or this isn't going to be fun and it was at that point when my lungs were under 50 percent and it was a case of so basically one of my lungs isn't working that was the bit for me that was like that's not cool that's that's so far from cool it's it's not even good and that's what's prompted me to turn everything around it seems to be working all right for me granted everyone's different but right now it's going well for me
Straight From The Lungs is produced by me, William Marler, and recorded at Birmingham City University. Thank you to Marlene, Charles, Martine, Shaborn, Ollie, Morgan, George, and the CF teams at Birmingham and Nottingham, including Fiona, Andy, Dr. J.S. Batt, and Dr. Helen Barr. As always, thanks to Sam Lewis for his keen ear and ever-helpful advice. The beautiful music you heard was by Ben Weatherill. Make sure to head over to our website, lungspodcast.co.uk, where you can find extra breaths from me and my guests, which is all the bits that didn't make it into the main episode, and illustrations by Vicky Neville. In the next episode, we'll be hearing from people who've fallen in love and those going on this crazy journey with them. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>